Well, would you pray with me as, as uh, my wife comes up? Uh, Father, I just thank you so much for the word that you've given uh, Christina. And I pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would fan into flame the words that she's about to speak, that they would come to life, Jesus, that they would ignite in the hearts of people. And, Lord, we, we honor what you're doing in this place. We honor the words that you've given her, and we thank you, Jesus, for it. In your holy name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. By the way, I should refer to my wife as Pastor Christina because she's actually in the process of getting her four-score license right now. So she's going to be a licensed pastor here pretty soon. But give it up for Pastor Christina. Thank you. Good morning. Well, Blake uh, told you guys that we got a puppy. And I just thought I'd explain my reasoning real quick, just because (laughs) some of you were like, what was she thinking? Well, here's what I was thinking. (laughs) Life is chaos right now anyway. What's what's a puppy? (laughs) Like, just bring him in. Why not? Why not? We've got four little kids, and we're not sleeping through the night yet. So let's just bring in a puppy while it's still crazy. That was my reasoning. Take it or leave it. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) Um, I believe that God wants to speak to you this morning, truly. I, I believe that God wants to speak to you individually, that um, he wants you to hear his voice in a way that you've never heard it before. And so I'm going to just pray for that over us. Father, I pray that when you speak, our hearts would be open to hear you. God, that as you speak to us, we would hear you more clearly than ever before. And that this would propel us into a deeper relationship with you. Amen. So Blake has been talking about desert places, which has been amazing. I don't know if you guys have been enjoying it, but I know I have. The desert places of the Bible are incredible. Um, My personal favorite story, just because it relates so much to our story and our walk with Jesus, is uh, the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. And Blake was talking about how that was an opportunity for them to encounter God. And so um, I think that we, we just spend so much of our lives in the desert. There are seasons that come and go, and I think many of them are the desert. And we, we like to reference Psalms 23, that he leads me beside quiet waters. But then the very next <laughs> line goes on to say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And so... We are, it's a present tense. We walk through the darkest valley. And it's not somewhere we stay, notice. It's something that we walk through. And so the desert season is something we walk through to get somewhere. God is taking us somewhere through the desert. Just as he took the Israelites through the desert to the promised land, he was taking them somewhere. And so in context, David, who wrote those psalms, he spent years and years running away from Saul, who was trying to kill him, to the desert, I might add, as he was running, and that we're not supposed to stop there. David was running to the desert, but God was doing something in the desert, and then brought him out to be king. And so, um, for, for me, I, I think one of my greatest desert seasons was when I, so I grew up in the church, I, I think I've told a little bit of my testimony, and I said yes to Jesus when I was in the second grade, and I remember it. Um, our teacher asked us, I went to a Christian school, and our teacher asked us if we wanted to invite Jesus in our hearts. Um, But then I walked away from the Lord in college, and so when I came back to Jesus, 
it wasn't because I was told to or because I was raised that way or because, and yes, those were in my heart. Those things were there. But it was, it was truly like not a summer camp high. It wasn't because I was, I don't know, told to. It was just this realization that I want to follow Jesus, not to get into heaven, but because this is something that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like, this is my life dedication. Just as when you get married and you vow that for the rest of my life, I will be with you. It's that kind of dedication when you come to Jesus. It should be that salvation. And so when I gave my life back to the Lord, um, it was really difficult. It was a desert season. I, um, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to leave all my friends behind, all the people that had made that way of life normal and like just partying and drinking and all the things that seemed like freedom but were actually bondage, and leave all that behind, which meant that I didn't have any friends, that I moved out. I actually, my parents are here this morning to support, which is amazing, and I actually moved back into my, with my parents to try to reconcile a relationship, and I had to humble myself deeply, and it was brutal. It was a desert season, but looking back, that was a season that I grew. I grew so much, more than when I was a season of, of up top a mountain, and so to understand, so I get to talk today about Jesus in the desert and his time in the desert, um, and if you don't know the story, Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, um, and to understand why, we need to look at Mark. So if you would turn with me to, to the book of Mark and what happened just before Jesus went to the desert. So I'm going to be reading Mark 9 to 11. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So three important things happen when Jesus was baptized. The heavens opened. And so this is just a beautiful metaphor of, of heaven opening above Jesus to like the inbreaking of heaven through Jesus. And then the spirit descended, which the spirit descends on us when we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. And the old is gone. The old person that we once were is gone, and the new has come. And then God, the third thing is that God affirmed Jesus' mission and his identity by saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And some translations say delighted. And so I don't know if you've been baptized, but if you have, I hope you can identify with the feeling of coming up out of the water and feeling like you're floating, like you're a new person fresh, reborn. Has anyone else had that experience being baptized? Yes, yes, awesome. And so um, so instantly, after being baptized, the scripture says in Mark, we're going to continue in chapter 12, that just after he's baptized, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So he comes up out of the water of baptism, full of the Spirit. Um, he's just had God open the heavens over him and tell him who he is and affirm who he is. And then he's led by the Spirit into the desert for a one-on-one -on -one battle with Satan, with our enemy. 
I don't know about you, but that's a little bizarre to me. If it were me, and I'm coming out of the waters of baptism, and I'm pumped, and I'm, and I'm free, and I'm new, I'm ready to go tell people. I'm ready to go minister. I'm ready to go share Jesus. And, but instead of Jesus going out and doing miracles and, and setting people free, he heads into the desert. For 40 days, without food and without water. So why 40 days? So the number 40 is significant in the Bible as a time of testing and refining. And you can probably think of a few stories where the number 40 is involved in the Bible. So the story of Noah, it rained for how many days? 40 days and nights. And then the Israelites wandered in the desert for how many years? 40 years. And then um, Goliath actually taunts the Israelites for 40 days before David comes and um, defeats him. And so that's just a few, and there are more. But the 40 is, the number 40 is significant as a time of refining and a time of testing. And so why was it necessary for Jesus to face temptation? Why, why would God send him into the desert to be tested? So first, um, temptation is part of the human experience. We are all, we all face temptation. We live in a broken world where we all face temptation. And so for Jesus to, to fully submit to humanity and to be fully human, he had to have faced temptation. And then second, Jesus had to undo what Adam did. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve had a choice, right? They had the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they had the tree of life. And God said, do not eat from this one tree. And so Adam and Eve choose not to trust what God says, but to trust what the serpent says. And the serpent says, hey, you won't actually die if you eat from this fruit, because God says it will lead to death, right? But you will be more like me. And so they take from the fruit, they take from the tree and they eat it. And so Adam, though he, created, though he was created perfect, he made a choice to give in to temptation in the garden. And then he passed on sin to the whole human race, which is us. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> but, you know, I actually was reading this off a little bunny trail, but I was reading a devotional last week that said um, that was challenging because it said, if Eve didn't do it, you would have. And it was like, ooh, that's good. We like to blame Eve and Adam and Eve, and we like to say, oh, man, those guys. If it wasn't for them, but if it wasn't them, it would have been me. And so the, the, the analogy isn't for somebody to blame. It's, it's an analogy to see that we all have that in us, that, that need to, to test it or to disobey, to rebel. And so, um, so where Adam passed sin on to the human race, Jesus comes and he resists Satan, and then he gets to offer salvation to all of, Adam descendant, all of Adam's descendants, which are us. So the devil who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden also tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And so there, there, there's, a, there's a significant connection there because Jesus comes on the scene to redeem what Adam had done. And so 
one thing I want us to take away also from this is that Satan is real. He is a created being, and he's a fallen angel, um, but he is real, and he wants to take God's place as ruler of the universe. And we don't like to talk about Satan in church because it makes us a little uncomfortable. But I think it's not just an idea or a symbol. It's a real evil being that is out to get us. And so, yeah, we don't like to talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable, but it should make us uncomfortable. And so we, we are constantly fighting a very real enemy who's fighting against God and against those who follow and obey God. And so he's not like God in that he's omnipresent or all-powerful, but he does have um, evil spirits under his dominion that he uses to um, work everywhere and to aim at drawing us away from God. And so though he is real and though his power and his goals are real and we shouldn't ignore them, Jesus already assures us of victory over him. And so we as believers can have faith in that and have trust in that. And so Jesus' interaction with Satan during these temptations while he was in the wilderness um, can teach us how to deal with Satan and his traps. And so, again, where Satan succeeded in getting Adam and Eve um, to, to disobey God, he hoped to succeed with Jesus in the desert. So we're going to go to Luke 4, and we're going to read the full story of what happens. So Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. And then um, theologians think that this, this account took place at the end of those 40 days. So we're going to go to Luke 4, chapter 1. And it's on the screen too, I think. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Whoa. So (laughs) there is a lot that we can learn from just this short passage of Scripture. Um, But I want to take the rest of our time together to focus in on just a few. So I want to talk to you about things we can learn from Jesus' time in the desert. And so the first thing is that God leads us to desert places for our good. I think it's especially important to note that in each account of this story, so in Matthew, there's three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In each one, the Spirit 
is the one who's leading Jesus into the wilderness. God's leading in our lives does not guarantee ease or comfort or safety. I'm sorry if that's what got you here today, (laughs) but it's not true. It doesn't mean that we'll have a life free from temptation. On the contrary, God's Spirit will lead us, as he led Jesus, into places that will test and stretch our faith. And it's in these desert places that our character is refined and we grow spiritually mature so that God can work in us and work through us. And so the desert place is not something to be feared or avoided. We, we don't like being uncomfortable, especially in Western culture. Uh, we're very used to things that make us comfortable. And as fo- even as followers of Jesus, seeing that Jesus went to the desert, we try to avoid the desert, don't we? We, we try to numb out. While we're in the desert, we try to just scroll through Facebook or, you know, play video games or do whatever it, it looks like to not deal with the fact that we're in a desert. And we don't like it when life is hard and dry and barren. And it makes us feel isolated. And so that's why we do what we can to escape it. It doesn't feel good. It makes us uncomfortable. And we often think of it as a time, as something we just need to get through. If we just get through this season, then there's something better on the other side, right? But I think when we do that, we miss something beautiful. We miss something amazing that God wants to do in us. And so, yes, we try to avoid the uncomfortable because our culture kind of, we kind of are fed this idea that we deserve ease. We deserve comfort. We deserve to have the good life. And we're entitled to it. And, but the Bible is very clearly not, that that's not true. And so we, we enter these desert seasons. We feel burnt out. We feel like we don't want to get out of bed. We feel like things seem really hard. And it seems really hard to just, just, to just get moving sometimes. But I want to challenge that because in the Bible, the desert is not presented as a hopeless place. God uses the desert to speak to his people and to speak with Jesus while Jesus is in the desert and still desires to do so today. So if you're in the middle of a desert season, wave at me if you feel like you're in the middle of a desert season. Yes, okay, I'm not alone. And you're not alone. So there are several people in the Bible that walked through the wilderness. And so God spoke to Abraham while he was in the wilderness. God brought the Israelites into the wilderness because he wanted to speak to them on Mount Sinai. So if you remember when Blake spoke um, about the Israelites, that initially they were brought out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and God had wanted them to come up the mountain with Moses to meet him. Do you remember that? But they said, no, Moses, you go for us. We're too afraid. And so that was an invitation to meet with God that they said no to. Um, so God spoke to Moses. Then in the wilderness, God met with Elijah. It was in the desert that God spoke to John the Baptist, who spent most of his life there, by the way, and was known as the voice calling in the wilderness. 
So each of these stories is filled with miracles. And in the wilderness, one thing is for sure, God was present. God was there in the wilderness. And he made himself known. And so, again, Jesus didn't wander into the desert by accident. He went there on purpose. He was led by the Spirit. Why? This almost seems like a little bit harsh, no? When I read it at first, I think, oh, man, like, okay, I just told, God just tells Jesus that he's the Son of God, that he's well-pleased, and now instead of starting his ministry— by healing people and going out and doing amazing things, he asked Jesus to head straight into the desert. I think that all of the people that were in the desert, Abraham, Moses, the Israelites, Isaiah, Elijah, David, John the Baptist, none of them were there by accident. It was very purposeful. God wanted to speak to them. And I think what what better place for an important meeting than one where there are no distractions? In the desert, there's nothing, right? There's no distractions. And so it's like, for me, when we, when we drive to Leavenworth, or when, actually, I guess, when we drive home from, from the east, or from the west side of the mountains, you guys know there's this point where, so it's beautiful, it's green, it's lush, there's waterfalls, there's water, there's so much to look at. And then there's this point after Leavenworth that it, all of a sudden... <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> All the way to Ephrata. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so I think, but we're distracted. And I think the drive goes by faster when we're distracted in, like, in the Leavenworth area with all the beautiful things around to look at. And so I've actually, since we moved here, I have found myself much more contemplative in the car. And I don't know if it's directly related or not. I haven't done a study or anything. But... It's, I think it's because there's not a whole lot to look at. When you're driving to Moses Lake, there's, I mean, there's nothing. The sagebrush, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I actually, I, I saw a billboard the other day, which was, that, uh, that was surprising. <laughs> but truly, there, there's something about being in the desert that causes you to Focus on what's happening inside of you and around you. And so Luke 5.16 actually tells us that Jesus chose, even after this encounter, to go to the desert. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And so I I really want to challenge us today to see the wilderness not as something just to get through, but to see it and see that it's coming, and to walk into it knowing that it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to encounter God, to grow spiritually. And the negative approach to the wilderness is challenged um, in the gospel. I was saying Jesus went to the wilderness even after this encounter to pray. That's where he chose to go often with his disciples. So he, that's what, that was their quality time. That's where he taught them. That's where he um, went to rest and build a relationship with his disciples. And so when he, when he was in the desert, he wasn't being pulled in every direction by all the people who needed help. And that was where God could speak. God, he, he went to the desert to hear from God, and then the next day would go out and do ministry. 
And so, and it's even in the desert where Jesus was baptized and where John the Baptist was. There's just so much in the desert. David was running through the desert trying to free from King Saul, flee from King Saul, who was trying to murder him, like I talked a little about in the beginning. And, I mean, that's, that's a pretty low place. You're literally running. You're running through the hills of Ephrata, running from someone who's trying to kill you. <laughs> that does not sound fun. But that's where he was, and it was there that he wrote most of the Psalms. Did you know that? That was where he experienced closeness and intimacy with the Lord, where he poured out his heart, where he knew that God heard him. And not only that, but he also found community in the desert. The Bible says that he found 400 men that were loyal to him, that, that surrounded him and protected him. There are good things in the desert. And that's something that I have learned in this past year. <laughs> Coming to Ephrata was difficult. It was very different. It's not what I grew up in. I grew up in Portland, and it's very different. But I have grown to truly love it because there is something special about being in the desert. And we all face things in our lives that feel like the desert. And so, like I was saying, coming here for me was literally coming to a desert season. (laughs) It's so interesting because... The whole process of getting here was like, yes, yes, yes. God is so in it, and he was, and it was amazing, and we are so glad to be here. But I thought it would be easy when we got here because it was so easy to say yes, and it wasn't easy. I was eight months pregnant. We had to move. I moved our whole house. I packed our whole house like seven months pregnant. Then we move and we remodel our house. <laughs> and then I have a baby, that an unexpected baby, by the way. <laughs> he was a surprise, a beautiful surprise, but a surprise. I moved away from all my friends, from my family. It was rough. It was a desert season for me. I literally was just surviving every day. But God was not absent in it. I felt God more clearly, actually. And I heard him speak more clearly. And he worked in me and he sifted some things out because I was uncomfortable. He brought me here and I got to a place where I was uncomfortable. And then what happens when you're uncomfortable? The ugly things start coming up to the surface, right? Those attitudes, those things you thought you had dealt with that you haven't or that have come back. And we have to deal with them again. And it's the grace of God that I entered this season in that way, looking back. In that season, no, I would not have said that. <laughs> but that's kind of how the desert works. When you, can, when you look back, you can see what God was doing. But when you're in the middle of it, it's not so clear. But it's always worth it, and it's always for our benefit and for our good. So when we are in the desert, maybe like David or like me, you feel just not like you just feel like you're drowning. I felt like I was drowning and I just couldn't come up for air. Or like David, you can't seem to escape your problems. Just things are piling up and it just is too much. Like Abraham, we're not sure where to go or what to do. I think we've all been in that season. God, what do you want me to do next? I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like Moses, 
we feel overwhelmed with our responsibilities or we just, things just, again, things keep piling up and it feels like you can't get out from underneath it or you can't catch your breath. Or we're just burnt out. Sometimes it's just, we're already on the other side of it and it's just, it's been too much. And so we kind of just, we give up. (laughs) But I want to challenge you today that the desert place provides an opportunity to encounter God. And so though we want to avoid it, and though we want to run from it, we can either complain about it or we can recognize it as an invitation to an encounter. And so I, I, we often um, relate desert seasons to God being silent. <clears throat> but I think that's wrong because, yes, God is silent sometimes, but maybe he's already given you the answer and you just don't want to do it. <laughs> or maybe you aren't, you aren't seeking him. I think in our culture, we, we're used to the microwave, right? We get to just pop it in and it's out and we're done. We have fast food. We have things right away. We have Amazon all amazing things, but it gets us used to this idea that things should be instant and that things should happen right away. And so we, we give up too easy when we're seeking God. And I think sometimes it literally takes getting on your face, getting on your knees, and just crying out for God and waiting till he speaks. The waiting is the hard part because we want it on our time. And we want it when we need it or when we think we need it. But God's timing is always perfect. Always. And so we wait. But I believe that God wants to speak in the desert. Just like he wanted to to the Israelites. When they came to Mount Sinai, God invited them up the mountain to speak to them. But they said no. And then they wondered why God was silent. They said no to the invitation. And so I just want to encourage you that I don't think the desert season needs to be a place where we don't hear from God. I think it's a place where we hear from God even more. So unlike those in the Bible who fled to the desert, so like King David, Elijah, Abraham, Jesus chose to follow the Spirit into the desert. He actually chose to go there. And he chose it because he knew that though it was going to be hard, he's going to be fasting, his body would be fatigued and tired and hungry, and he knew he was going to be tempted and alone, there was strength and authority to be gained by being alone with his father. And that was worth it to him. And so no matter how isolated the season might make you feel today, God wants to be near you and to speak to you. And he is there in the wilderness And so, have you pressed in regardless? Keep on pressing in. God doesn't stay silent. So the desert seasons of our lives gives us one one of two opportunities. We can either isolate and try to avoid the rough conditions that the desert brings by, you know, binge-watching Netflix or eating too much or whatever that looks like. And but that makes us an easy target for temptation. Or we can recognize the desert as an opportunity for a powerful, identity-shaping, growing, beautiful encounters with God. 
we can be like the Israelites and we can complain and be ungrateful. God was literally providing food for them to eat that would fall to the ground and they literally just had to pick it up and eat it and he would provide it fresh daily. So we can complain and be ungrateful like them and wish we were back in Egypt, wish we were somewhere else. Or we can be like Jesus and grow closer to the Father, mature spiritually, be refined, and come out on the other side. So the second thing that I want to talk about is that I will be tested, but I have everything I need to succeed. So Jesus was tempted and tested as we are, but he resisted. Again, it seems, it seems odd that the Spirit would lead Jesus into the desert to be tested and knowing that the devil was waiting for an opportunity to tempt Jesus and deter him from his mission. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert where he was put to the test, not to see if he was ready, but to show that he was ready. And so there's a distinction here that I want to make. There's a clear distinction between temptation and between testing. So when you're tempted, it's a trap. So temptation comes from someone who has your failure in mind. They, want you, they, they are setting you up for failure. Temptation is a trap. And so the enemy comes and gives a temptation, hoping that you fail. Testing, on the other hand, from a good God who wants your best is an opportunity for blessing. And so testing when it's someone who has your best intention at heart and wants you to succeed is, is far different because you already have everything you need to succeed. It's, it's like an easy, it, it, it's like an easy test. Like, so right now I'm, I'm homeschooling Gideon and sometimes it's not easy, but I'm saying, well, my point is that we have everything we need to succeed. God has given it to us. And so, um, the spirit, okay, so the spirit led Jesus not into the desert, not to be tempted to see if he was ready, but to be tested to show that he was ready. So there's a difference. So the temptation was hoping that he would fail, but the testing was knowing that he would succeed. And so when God tests us, and sometimes we fail, and that shows where we need to grow and where we need um, healing, but there is a clear distinction between the two. And so being tempted in itself is not a sin. It's a result of the fall. Temptation is here because the enemy is here. Our enemy is real, and he is going to tempt us. And so knowing that temptation on this side of heaven is something that is going to happen, God comes and says, I'm going to test you, knowing that you have everything you need to succeed. And David knew this distinction because he even in the Psalms says, Search me, O God, test me. Know my anxious thoughts. And lead me in the way everlasting. He knows that testing leads to blessing. Because when you choose God and when you choose to obey him, the Bible promises that blessing comes with that. So if I am to grow spiritually, I can expect trial and testing. So just like if um, 
we're going to the gym, all right? I, I love to work out. <laughs> I know I know not everybody does, but it's fun for me. I like to turn on like a YouTube something and then I'll try to work out while the kids are running around. Usually it just ends up being like a dog pile and they're just running through my legs and stuff. <laughs> but it's fun because they they get to see it modeled like just being healthy and being active. And I get to work out, and I get to feel good and, and get that adrenaline rush. And and so Gideon has been wanting to work out with me. But some, like, push-ups, those are difficult for a kid. And so I'll be doing push-ups, and he'll come, and he'll try to do push-ups next to me. But his version of a push-up is, like, like a weird downward dog and then, like, you know, it's like a like a wave kind of like his arms are not moving at all, which are like the only thing that are supposed to be moving. <laughs> so so when I first started working out, that's kind of what it looked like. Well, now when I do it, you guys, he can do 10 pushups, like legit pushups just because he has been practicing. He's been working his muscles. And just like that, just like working our muscles out until we get it right and until we grow strong. We have to do the same thing with our faith. It's not something that comes naturally. It's something that we have to have discipline and work on and grow in. And, and faith is that I know that if I work out, it, I'm assured that I will grow muscle. It's not like, a, you know, like an infomercial. If you take this pill, you'll lose 40 pounds in a week. <laughs> it's not like that because... This is something where I'm putting my time in, I'm putting my work in, and I know what the result will be. And so we have faith that we will grow spiritually when we are tested. Because we know that our testing leads to maturity spiritually. And so the devil tempted Jesus in three distinct ways. Um, during So temptation comes... And, and it's a testing because we now have a choice, just like Adam and Eve. Are we going to do the thing that seems easier or do the thing that seems like the instant gratification? Or are we going to trust God and do what he says? And so Jesus was tempted by his physical needs, his power, and his pride. And so they, again, they occurred, theologians think that this, this tempting um, these three temptations happened at the end of the 40 days of fasting. So Jesus is hungry and tired, but he's also just spent 40 days in the love and delight of his father. And the Bible says being ministered to and tended by angels. I don't, that sounds pretty nice. I, I mean, that's, that's a big trade-off. Food for that, hmm, I don't know. But I'm, I'm leaning towards yes. That sounds amazing. And the Spirit of God was with Jesus every moment of every one of those 40 days and nights. And God was always with his Son and always walked with him. And Jesus always was in the spiritual awareness of who his Father was and that his Father loved him. And we get that too as followers of Jesus. But we don't always walk in it, do we? And so we can learn from this that Jesus was growing stronger during those 40 days. He wasn't, not physically, but spiritually, he was growing stronger. And so let's go to Luke 4, 3. 
where the devil tempts him and it says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And so there's, there's an interesting, there's an interesting thing happening here because Satan is saying, I know you're hungry and I know you're tired. So just feed yourself. It's easy. You're the son of God. You can totally make this stone bread. And Jesus could. But by doing that, he would no longer relate with the human race in in full humanity. And he was going to take the easy way out. God had asked him to go to the desert for 40 days, and the devil was trying to give him an easy way out. But he said no. Because he knew that he lived not on bread alone. Because his response in Luke 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And so Jesus, or Satan was trying to get Jesus to use his power in the wrong way at the wrong time. And so even if it's for the right reason, I think sometimes that's a temptation that we have as believers. We see what needs to happen, and instead of waiting on God's timing, we rush into it. And so even though it might be the right thing for the right reason, it's, it's not on God's timing. And, um, and so when Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, he's directly quoting Deuteronomy, where the Israelites, uh, the story of the Israelites. So we're going to go to Deuteronomy 8 to see what, what he's quoting. Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So the test is for us to know what's in our hearts. That's interesting. That's interesting language there. I'll come back to it. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus understood that his father's mission on earth was more important than food. And so Jesus resisted the temptation because he was full of the Spirit. He did not live on bread alone. He knew that that wasn't the only thing he needed to have life. And so testing, it's not just something that God brings us to um, bless us, but it's something also to show us what's in our hearts. And sometimes we don't like what's there. But that's why he does it, because he wants to refine us. When, when we discipline our children, it's not to show them how bad they are or to um, set them up for failure or anything like that. It's because we know what's in them and we want to call them higher. And in the same way, God does that with us. And the testing is an opportunity to come higher. And sometimes we fail miserably. We all do. But then God comes again and says, all right, let's work on that. Okay, here's another opportunity to show me. And we have opportunities to do that. The second temptation um, is power. So in Luke 4, 5 to 7, it says, The devil led him to a high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you their authority and splendor as it has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. And if you worship me, it will be all yours. 
<clears throat> this invitation in particular is in, um, is interesting because Jesus being the Son of God and knowing all the prophecies of the Old Testament, Jesus knew what was to come before him. And so Jesus knew that authority would be given to him, but he had he had quite a walk to <clears throat> he had quite a walk and quite a journey to go through to get there. Then Satan comes and tempts him by saying, "Hey, that authority that you're promised and that you're prophesied to have, I'll give it to you now, and you don't have to go through all the pain and suffering that you're about to have to go through if you just bow down and worship me." But Satan Satan's offer was a lie. And Satan was trying to get Jesus to focus on earthly power and possessions rather than on the heavenly kingdom and fulfilling God's plans. We get stuck in this tension every moment of every day because we live in a, in a now but not yet, as Blake likes to call it. It's we have eternity, we have heaven on earth now. We have access to God. We have Jesus, but we're not yet fully, it's not yet fully realized as a new earth and as Eden as it was supposed to be, the relationship with God as it was supposed to be in Eden. And so we live in this tension of, do I focus on my earthly possessions and powers and the things that I want here on earth, or do I shift my mindset to a kingdom mindset, knowing that even though it's hard right now, God's plan is better and I don't see it all. But he does. And so Jesus says no Jesus says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus takes the hard road. That's incredible to me. Again, Jesus answers with scripture. He answers with the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so again, he resists temptation by trusting that God has his best in mind. Even knowing what he's about to go through, he trusts God through it and says no to Satan. And so then the last temptation is in Luke 4, 9 through 11. The devil led him, into, or led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. It's interesting and a little scary, that Satan himself quotes scripture here. Did you notice that? Satan knows scripture and can use it and twist it in a way that is a lie. Because the scripture says that you will be protected. The, the Psalms that he's quoting here promises God's protection for those in danger. Yes, but it says only for those who are in his will and serving him. And so by doing, by jumping off, it's not, Satan knows full well who Jesus is and that, that this, that he would be protected. And Jesus knows full well that he would be protected. And so doing it would be a ridiculous show of power and it would be prideful because it's like, hey, look at me, I can do this. Instead of just trusting, and it would be outside of God's will because God doesn't want that for him. And so, the action would artificially create a need for God to act. Is this kind of like, show me 
but in a prideful way. And it just proves lack of faith. And so sometimes we can get into this rut where we, where we want God to show us, but we already know. We already know he's there. And so all it proves is a lack of faith. And Jesus is showing us that that's not something we're supposed to pursue. Because he answers, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So now he's quoting Deuteronomy again, where the Israelites are rebuked for testing God to provide them with water in the desert. And this happens literally right after God opens the sea to let them through. And now they're going, they're going, God, did you bring us to the desert just to let us die of thirst? And they're just so, they're, show us that you're here. And, and they do not trust that he's there and that he's going to take care of them. And so Jesus absolutely could have jumped from the te- temple and landed safely on the ground. But Jesus knew that his father would protect him and didn't need to test it. So he trusts, again, he trusts God. And he says no to the temptation. And it says, when the devil had finished his tempting, he had left him until the opportune time. So Jesus' victory, it's over, sorry, Jesus' victory over Satan at the beginning of his ministry, and like right after he comes out um, of baptism and into the desert, then he does this one-on-one, but it says that Satan's not done with him. And so in the same way, when we're tested, it's something that's constant. It's not just in the wilderness. But again, testing from a good God who has given us everything we need to succeed is an opportunity for us to trust him and show him we love him and to be blessed. So the third thing I want to talk about is that I can trust that God has my best in mind. And I've kind of been talking about this throughout But it's not my easiest in mind, and it's not my comfort in mind, but that he has my best in mind when I can't see it. Jesus always trusted his Father. And each of the temptations, even before that, in his leading into the desert, Jesus trusts fully what his Father has said and asked him to do. And God tests those he loves, not to set them up for failure, because again, that's temptation. But testing is an opportunity for us to trust him and to receive the blessing that he has for us. And so where the first sin came down to the question of, will I trust God? Will I trust that what he says is true? Jesus comes, and where Adam failed, Jesus comes and fully redeems. Here in the desert, what Adam and the Israelites had broken before because Adam falls into temptation and then the Israelites grumble and complain instead of trust God. And so, Blake, if you could come up and play guitar. Um, I, I know that the wilderness season seems like it's forever, especially when you're in it. But I want to challenge you today to re-examine that season and see that God is at work in it. Because looking back at my desert seasons, again, that is where the most growth happened. And that is where God was doing something great. And so for those of you who waited at me that you're in the wilderness, um, I would love to pray over you. And, and then all of you too that are just 
constantly facing testing. We face testing, again, because God loves us. And David even asks, God, test me, search me, because he knows the goodness that's on the other side of that, of that testing and that we have everything we need. So would you stand with me? Um, another thing that is very helpful when you're in the wilderness, um, I said that David found community in the desert. When he was fleeing from Saul, he found 400 loyal men that he did life with. And I, I just encourage you, this is our week that we're starting small groups and walking with Jesus and walking through the wilderness, walking our faith out with others that love Jesus is the best way to do it. And so that is where we're encouraged. That is where we can pray together. That is where people can check us and say, hey, have you really sought God about this? And so I would encourage you, if you haven't signed up for a small group, that's a great place to start. All right, so if you're in a wilderness or if you just want this prayer for you, would you just uh, extend your hands like this? Jesus, I lift up to you these people who love you, love you dearly, God, that are walking through a wilderness. I pray, Father, that a shift would happen this morning in their hearts, that they would view this season not as something to get through, but as an opportunity to encounter you, God. I pray that they would hear you clearer, that they would know you deeper and more intimately than ever before. I pray that your spirit would fall fresh on them, God, and that this wilderness would be a propelling into spiritual maturity and a propelling into a deeper relationship with you, God, and that, Father, that you would move in it that you are going to move and that, that we'd see you move. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this blessing. We thank you for this shift in our mindset. We thank you for your voice. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who went before us and made a way and shows us how to do it. And we thank you that the same spirit who lived in him lives in us and that we have that same, that same perseverance, that same determination that same spiritual strength, God. I pray that we would work out our muscles, work out our faith muscles, God, and that this season, again, would be an opportunity to grow stronger and grow deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. God bless you, church. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Make sure to uh, check your inboxes this Tuesday for an important email announcement.